when I was in seminary a few years ago, I was uh, asked to speak at a Young Life um, staff gathering at a Young Life camp in Colorado. I had done Young Life in my past, and the seminary basically was you know, flying me out there to promote and recruit uh, Young Life staff to come to my particular seminary in Charlotte. So the background is I'm emailing with this Young Life contact person named Barbara, who's going to be my connection point when I actually get to Colorado to take me to the camp. And I've never met Barbara. It was all via email. So I get in the plane, fly over to Colorado, land, and, and again, I've, I have no idea what she looks like. So I, I get off and I don't, really under, I don't know how we're going to connect with each other. So I just make my way to the baggage claim. And sure enough, there's this sweet, small, older woman holding a sign that says Matt. Since that's my name, I walked up to her. And she sees me, she puts down the sign and gives me a big hug. And uh, I thought, this is, you know, sweet. You know, strangers, we can hug each other. This is, this is normal. But then the hug lasted, you know, a little too long, you know what I mean? We're starting to get a little awkward. And while she's still hugging me, leans back and is now looking me face to face and begins touching my face and says, Matt, you have changed so much. And I realize this is not Barbara. And I'm not the Matt that she's looking for and here we are hugging each other. So I very had to awkwardly extract myself from her hug, explain to her, I'm not Matt, you're not who I think you are. But it was, it was still weird because she still had to pick up her sign and wait for Matt, and I had to stand next to her and wait for my luggage. So it was a uh, very awkward uh, moment in my life. Now, the reason I tell you that is, is for this simple point, is that knowing who somebody is has radical implications for how you relate to them. And that works the same way with RUF. I mean, knowing what RUF is, knowing what we're about, knowing what we care about has radical implications on whether or not you're going to get involved here, if you're going to get involved here at all. Because the reality is, is for a lot of you, this is maybe your first time to RUF. You don't know what this is. You've heard about it. Maybe your roommate you know, drugged you in here or whatever. Uh, maybe some of you have been around RUF for a while, but it's largely just been a social thing for you, and you don't really know kind of what our heart and soul is and what we're doing here and why we exist. So really, before what we want to do in this sort of preseason RUF, before the semester really kind of gets cranked up tomorrow, which is kind of crazy to think about, um, but before things really get cranked up, uh, tomorrow, just to take a night, welcome y'all, hang out with y'all, and give you just a brief snapshot of what RUF is and why we function here. And what we're going to do is we're going to do that by looking at this passage that's in your bulletin, or if you've brought a Bible, you can go ahead and um, turn to Acts chapter 8, or it'll be up right there. Thank you, Philip. So we're going to look at this passage out of Acts chapter 8 to kind of be the um, springboard to talk about what RUF is and, and why we're here. Cool? Let me read it for you. Acts chapter 8, verse 36, verse 26 through 38. <clears throat> now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited to come up and sit with him. And now the passage, uh, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is God's word for us tonight. If you would, let's pray together before we consider it. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we do ask that in these next few moments you would be our teacher, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would really, even though in some ways what we're trying to do tonight is talk about RUF, I pray that this would not be, that this would not be self-serving, that really what we'd be talking about is about you, and that RUF would simply just be the channel and the vehicle uh, by which we do that. And so will you, will you be with us, Spirit? Will you open up our eyes, soften hearts? And uh, lead us into truth and goodness and beauty. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the question is, uh, what is RUF? And the way that I want to try to answer that is by looking at two things with you tonight. Who we are here for and then what it is that we do. Okay? Two very simple headings. Who we're here for and what we do. Okay? Here's the first thing. Who we're here for. Who RUF is here for. And to really unpack what I'm talking about... The way that we're going to do that is zoom into the, the life of this Ethiopian eunuch. And there's actually, you can tell a whole lot about this guy with just a few of the details that are provided. L- look at verse 27 with me. 27 says this, and he rose and he went, talking about Philip, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here's this dude. Here's what we got. We have an African in Jerusalem, which is weird, but he is, uh, he's a eunuch, which means he has been sexually altered. He's been castrated. Always a fun way to start the night and start the semester. Let's kick it off with castration. But here he is. Here is this man who is uh, an African. He's a eunuch. And what we know about him vocationally is that he is uh, basically he's a CFO. He's a, he's a high-powered, high-ranking financial advisor to the queen of Ethiopia. Now, if you do just a little bit of historical and cultural digging, you can, find, you can kind of piece together this guy's story. Here's what we know. We know he was a eunuch. We know he was working with the royal family at the time. But, okay, here's the question. Why was he castrated? Why was he sexually altered? Here's why. If you were a commoner and you wanted to kind of take the fast track to your career and work with the power people, work with the royal family, work with the elite, they did not trust you unless you were willing to prove your loyalty to the queen. And the way that you proved your loyalty to the queen was that you... Um, without using hand motions, were castrated. Because what you were doing, you were pledging your allegiance to the queen. 
You were saying, I will sacrifice my family, which was, culturally speaking, an enormous deal at the time. This, was, this is at a point in history and culture where family is everything. To say, I'm going to sacrifice my family, or the prospect of family, for career, for influence, for money. And so we know that this guy did this. He sold his family, as it were, to climb up the corporate ladder, to work with um, you know, the, the high-powered cultural elites. But here's what else we know about him. In light of all of his career and his influence and his money, it was unfulfilling. He was deeply unsatisfied. And here's how we know this. Because he's going to Jerusalem to worship. Now, to put this into uh, perspective, from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is 1,580 miles. To, to put a little bit of context to that, from Knoxville to the southern tip of Florida, Miami, if you were to drive from Knoxville to Miami without stopping for potty breaks, it would take you 12 and a half hours. And that is less than half the distance from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Now, granted, dude in Ethiopia does not have interstates. He does not have a car. He's like riding a camel or a donkey or something. So this is, an, this is a massive trip. It is taking weeks, months maybe, I don't know. Why in the world is he leaving his career, leaving his country to go to a church in Jerusalem? The only thing that makes sense is that he would have had to have heard about the God of Israel and he's traveled all that way because he is thirsty and he is hungry. He's desperate to connect with the God of the Bible at some level because money, career, influence, status, it's not satisfying his soul. He's looking for something else. Actually, this, uh, his story, as I was thinking about this and studying this, it reminds me a lot of Tom Brady. You know about Tom Brady? He's the um, uh, Patriots um, quarterback. He did this famous interview with 2020. You can find it on YouTube. And uh, by the time he was 30 years old, I'm, I will be 33 in November, and I do not have this much to show for. But by the time he was 30, he had won three Super Bowl rings. And here's what he says in this interview. He's he's talking to the dude and he says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. And me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. And then the interviewer guy looks at him and says, well, what's the answer? And Tom Brady says, "I I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, here's this guy who is, you know, Pinnacle athlete, three Super Bowl rings, he has money, he's got you know, celebrity, anything he wants, acclaim, and he's looking at this guy on you know, national television and saying it's not enough. There's got, there's got to be more than this. It's not the answer. You know Jim Carrey, another famous quote? Here's what Jim Carrey says. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. I would say Jim Carrey is remotely famous and wealthy. But here's the, here's the deal. Does that resonate at all with you? To feel like you've done it all and that nothing's really satisfying. I mean, some of you have come from contexts with a lot of money. And you've kind of worked in you know, popular circles, had popular friends, were the popular people in high school or whatever. And uh, you get here and you're attractive and smart and athletic and, and you think... What, what my time at UT is going to be like is I'm just going to make um, new friends. I'm going to go to better parties. 
Uh, I'm just going to um, get better connected so I can get out and get a good job. And if that is your story, if that's all you have, money, good looks, athleticism, good job when you get out of here, and a lot of partying along the way, you will have fun. You will be deeply thirsty, deeply hungry, deeply unsatisfied. I mean, take it from Tom Brady, take it from the Ethiopian dude. Some of you uh, were raised in church and raised to be really religious and good little Christian boys and girls who never broke the rules and never got into trouble and did everything right. And now here you are at Tennessee and you do not have the restrictions of parents. You don't have the restrictions of your old church. Uh, You're free to kind of do whatever you want. And uh, you're free to reinvent yourself. And some of you, even though you were raised in that sort of churchy environment, you will get here and just kind of go crazy for the first few weeks. You'll do the college thing, go nuts, explore. And and if it hasn't happened to you, maybe it will, that one day uh, you will wake up buried under a boatload of guilt and a boatload of shame, to quote the Avid Brothers. And what would happen in that moment for some of you is that you will wake up and you'll say, man, I've got to muster the spiritual enthusiasm to get back to where I was spiritually when I was in high school. I've got to get back to that level. And you will try and you'll do the religious thing and you'll join RUF or other campus ministries or whatever and you'll just try to get back to that same point but you that same point, but you won't, and you will get discouraged and burn out, and it will just send you spiraling right back to the party scene, and then you'll just go, some of you will just go back and forth and back and forth, and what are you looking for? What are you doing in this journey of back and forth, back and forth? You're looking for fulfillment, meaning, purpose. You're looking for this. And here's what I want you to know. RUF is here for you. RUF is here for you. You are who we exist for. People that don't know where you are, People that are spiritually confused, spiritually lost, people that are hungry and have no idea how to get meaning and fulfillment and purpose out of this life, you are who RUF is here for. So I just want you to know up front, RUF is not a Christian club on campus where everybody in these seats is a um, you know, card-carrying Christian. We have, a, you know, have our act all together. Uh, This is a place where whether or not you are spiritually mature and spiritually on fire and you really do feel like you're being satisfied by Jesus, or if you are basically spiritually non-existent and you don't care about anything I'm talking about right now, we're here to serve both of you. Whether, Whether or not you come in through these doors feeling lonely, guilty, excited to take the campus by storm for Jesus, or you could give a rip about what we're talking about, RUF is here to serve you. regardless of where you are, RUF is here to serve you. That's who RUF is here for. That's the first thing. People like this Ethiopian eunuch. Second thing. I'm going to filter that joke I was about to make. Uh, What is it that RUF does? What is it that RUF does? Second thing. Well, there's a, there, there really is a lot that we can say here, but I think fundamentally, if you wanted to kind of boil down to what RUF is in a nutshell, you could kind of capitalize, you know, capture it in one sentence. And here's the sentence. We explore scripture together as a community in order to see and be transformed by Jesus. That's what we're here to do. That's what we do. We explore scripture together as a community to see and be transformed by Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to take that sentence and just kind of break it apart for the rest of our time and then we'll be done. First part of that sentence, we explore scripture 
Let's go back to it, and let me show you where I get this from. Look at verse 35. It says, Then Philip, who comes upon this Ethiopian dude, opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So here's Philip, who is a you know, disciple of Jesus, and he comes upon this guy who has a lot of questions about Christianity. And what he does is he begins by opening the Bible with him and walking him through it to talk about Jesus and God and salvation. And so the question is, why did he do that? Why didn't he just sort of let him in on his particular spiritual perspective and opinion? Here's why. It's because Christians believe that the Bible is the primary way that God has chosen to communicate to us about himself. The Bible is the primary vehicle that God has chosen to tell us about him. Now, if God is relational, personal, and not just some divine force out in the universe, if he actually is relational, don't you think he would want to be known? I mean, don't you think that, that, that's what it means to be relational, is to want to be known? To want to have somebody know what you're about and where you've come from and what you're going to do in the future? Christians really do believe that the Bible is that, God's way, I mean, God's word even, spoken, communicated to his creation about who he is. Now, I know not everybody in here believes that, and that is okay. But if it is true, if it really is true that God has spoken to us through the Bible, and I'm not arguing that, it, and I don't have time to argue that it is true, but let's just assume that it is, that it's God's way of communicating to us about him then that really does challenge us. That challenges us because that, what that means is we no longer have the right to just sort of think about who God is in the categories that we want to invent for him. In other words, we no longer get to start our sentences with this. Well, I just like to think of God as fill in the blank. Here's why. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Catherine, who you'll meet next week, assuming you come back after the castration talk. Uh, my wife uh, and I have been married for almost uh, eight years now. And when we were, before we were married and we were going through premarital counseling, you know, the minister sits down with us and asks us the question right off the bat, why do y'all want to get married to each other? And Catherine begins and she says, well, you know, I, it's because Matt is my best friend and I love him and he's the greatest guy, you know, st- stuff that everyone else already knows. And um, <laughs> then when it got to be my turn and to explain why I want to marry her, what if I had said, well, uh, the reason why I want to marry Catherine is because uh, I can stay up late with her playing video games, and she just loves hanging out and eating hot wings with me, and uh, one of our favorite things to do together is just watch zombie movies all the time, and uh, if I had said that in this meeting, Catherine would have been like, what are you talking about? I hate video games. I'm not a fan of Hot Wings, and I will never watch a zombie movie with you. And what if my response to her was this? Well, that's just how I like to think of you. I mean, she would say, you're out of touch with reality. You don't get, you don't get to just decide what I'm like. And if the Bible is true, if it is true, then we don't just get to decide what God is like. It's him telling us about what he is like. And so really, at RUF, everything that we do is centered around the Bible. Every Tuesday night, we're going to open it up and talk about it. Every small group that you're in, we're going to open up the Bible at some level and explore it together. Uh, when, when Alex and Catherine and, and myself sit down with you one-on-one over lunch or coffee or ice cream or milkshakes, we're going to be talking about the Bible with you. 
because we needed to confront us. We needed to confront you. I needed to confront me because my ideas of God are not always truth and accurate. So as painful as it sometimes is to do that, that's kind of what we do here. So back to the sentence. We explore scripture. We explore the Bible together as a community. And here's where I get this from in this passage. Uh, Look at verse 31. Here's this Ethiopian. He's traveling alone by himself. Here comes uh, Philip, who had been prompted by God the Holy Spirit to intercept him, to talk with him about this stuff. And verse 31 really stands out to me. It's a very telling verse. Here's what the Ethiopian says. Well, Philip asks him, "Do do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guides me? And here's what he's saying. I don't know how to understand Christianity by myself. I don't know how to understand spiritual reality alone. I need other people to do this with me. I need friends. I need to be deeply involved in community. And you know what this is like experientially, right? You know exactly what this is like. This is why it is so weird and painful to eat by yourself in your cafeteria. You know what I'm talking about? This is why maybe for some of you it was so terrifying walking into this room because you feel the most alone when you're in a room full of you know, a bunch of people. This is why some of you check Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat 85 times a day just for some form of human connection or human validation. It's because you, you want friends. Because you need friends. Look, back in 2008, there was this story that got global attention in the news. And it's the story that takes place in Zagreb, which is the capital of Croatia. It's about this woman who um, lived by herself. She was an ordinary working woman. And the story is is that she uh, got home from work, fixed herself a cup of tea, sat down, and died of natural causes. And the story got global attention. Now, why in the world would a story about some woman who died and was found in her apartment in 2008, why would that receive such global attention? It's because she died in 1973. For 35 years, she was dead and no one knew. No neighbor went to look for her. No family reported her missing. No one knew that she was dead. And the reason why this story kind of got you know, passed around the internet Globally is because we heard that story and were shocked by how terrible and lonely that must have been. Now look, UT is big, and you can spend your time here, your four years here, or five or six or eight, however long it takes you to get through here, you can spend your time here lost in the sea of people and have lots of people noticing you, but no one knowing you. You can have lots of people notice you at UT and have no one really know you. Have no one really know your story, know your struggles, know what you're dealing with. And so really, if if I can just make a commercial plug right here in the middle to get involved in a small group, that really is incredibly important because that is the context with which not only are you studying the Bible and understanding who God is and exploring your faith and all that stuff, but you have other people getting to know you. Other people understanding and beginning to kind of pull you out of hiding, which is extremely easy to do in a big place. It, you know, Maybe this has happened to you if it hasn't happened already. Where you come to RUF, or you come to a different campus ministry, or a different church, or whatever, and you really connect with what's being done at like the large group thing, the music, you're connecting with the worship, and you leave with that sort of, you know, a, a sense of joy. But if you look at your life, you really see that there's not a whole lot that changes. 
you're, you're not actually changing as a person. You're still the same. You don't really understand how to pray. You don't really understand how the Bible. You don't really understand how to walk by faith. And you just kind of get bored and grow numb to the whole thing. And the reason why that is, is because you need other people processing how all this fleshes out in the details of your particular life. Just hearing data come at you for 30 minutes a week is really, it's not enough. And so I really do, I want to invite you, uh, implore you, encourage you to find a small group. It doesn't have to be through RUF, but somewhere where people can actually get to know you because it's very easy to hide where you're sitting right now. So back to the sentence, what does RUF do? We explore scripture, we explore the Bible together as a community. Why? In order to see and be transformed by Jesus. And here's the last little part of that sentence that we'll talk about. Back to the Ethiopian. He's traveled all this way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship, right? Enormous journey. And here's what else we know about him. When he gets to the temple after weeks and weeks of traveling, we know without a shadow of the doubt that he would have been turned away. He wouldn't have been given access to the temple because he was sexually altered. And in the Old Testament, there were rules forbidding eunuchs from having access to the temple. And so, I mean, put yourself in his shoes. Here's somebody who is so hungry, so desperate to connect with God, and he finally gets there, and he's turned away. Can you imagine how deformed he felt, how dirty he felt, how unclean he felt? So he's going back home in this chariot, and he's reading the Bible. He's reading this Old Testament passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Now, scholars think the reason why he's in that particular chapter is because a few chapters later, Isaiah 56, it's all about eunuchs. So they think he may have just kind of, he was going to the eunuch passage, and he was just kind of flipping around. And here's what Isaiah 56 says. It says, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain that I am only a dry tree. And it goes on and on and on to basically say, the Lord will bless eunuchs. The Lord will give them descendants, even though they are physically incapable of doing that. But the the Lord has a special place in his heart for eunuchs, as it were. And he's reading this. And he flips over to Isaiah 53, which is the passage he's reading when we find him in this Acts chapter 8 passage. And he's reading about, you know, with all this probably fresh in his mind about God will bless the unit. God will not exclude them. He will not cast them out. And he's reading about some mysterious figure who has been excluded, who has been cast out of God's presence who was basically treated like a a eunuch, deformed and unclean and slaughtered like a unclean and deformed sheep. And he's trying to wrap his mind around, who is this? What is this thing? What is this talking about? And right at that moment when when his head is spinning, that's when Philip comes up and explains to him that the person you're reading about is Jesus. And it's explaining to him that on the cross, Jesus was the one that was cast out so that you could be brought in. Jesus was the one on the cross that was treated like a deformed, unclean eunuch. He was taking your place so that you can have the access to God that you've always wanted. Now, if you do end up sticking around RUF, one thing that you'll come to know about me, at least, is that I'm really into, like, zombie stuff. I don't know why, but The Walking Dead is very important to me. And um, 
So one of, the, one of the movies that I saw this summer was uh, World War Z, and it's a typical zombie movie where zombies are kind of running everywhere and people are trying to survive, which is kind of the <laughs> plot line of every zombie show ever. But here's this uh, movie with zombies everywhere and people are trying to survive, and uh, towards the end of the movie, the Brad Pitt character, this is a little spoiler alert, so if you haven't seen it, sorry, but um, towards the end of the movie, Brad Pitt the character has kind of this theory about how to get, you know, rid of the zombie problem. And his theory is that they will not attack humans that are healthy. Sorry, they, they will only attack humans that are healthy. They will not attack people that are sick, people that are dying. And he doesn't know how to prove this. So the only way that he really can prove this is, is him and this little group of survivors. And so what he does is he takes this um, syringe that has like this lethal virus in it. And he injects himself with it. And then he kind of walks out and the zombies don't mess with him. And, and he kind of, he, he risks them life. He, he injects death into himself so that they might live. Now you got to, th- well, t- actually towards the end, he doesn't actually die. He um, takes like an antidote thing and so he... It, it, anyway, he stands in uh, he stands in harm's way for the sake of other people, even though he lives at the end. But he, okay, here's the question: for those people, for the survivors, when they see him at least willing to risk his own life for their benefit, how do you think that changed the way that they viewed him? Do you think that they would like him more or less after that? When this Ethiopian grasps. In his heart, what Jesus has done for him, that Jesus did not just risk his life for him, but actually gave his life. That Jesus, as it were, on the cross, injected death into himself so that he, the eunuch, might live and might find life. When he grasps that, he has found the resolution to his heart that he's always been looking for. He has moved to the core of his being. And actually, what's really interesting, historically is that this man has been attributed to be the one that takes the gospel back to Ethiopia for the first time. One of my RUF campus minister friends that's at a different school did a mission trip to Ethiopia a few years ago, and he was talking with some of the native, local Christians there. They point to this dude in Acts 8 as the guy that brought Christianity to the country of Ethiopia. This guy was so moved, so transformed, he couldn't help but bring the gospel with him. And so that really is our hope here in RUF, is that as we open up the scripture together, as a community, that we would see Jesus and be and find the resolution in our hearts that we're all looking for, the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment that everyone in this room is hungry for, that we would find that resolve in the person of Jesus. But not to just stay there. When you're transformed by Jesus, you are inevitably pushed out just like this dude was, right back to other people to love them, to serve them, to care for them, to lay down his life for their benefit. And so really, I mean, our hope and our dream and our prayer is that UT really is a more beautiful place because RUF is here. Because we really do want to serve and invest in the place where God has put us. So that is RUF in a nutshell. Who are we here for? You. Students like you, regardless of where you find yourself spiritually, that's who we're here for. To love, to serve you, to care for you during your time in college. What do we do? We explore scripture together as a community. 
so that we might see and be transformed by Jesus. And we're going to keep doing that starting right back here next week, 7.30, right here in this room. I would love to invite you to come back and join us. Let me pray. Father, we do pray that uh, you would give us eyes to see and behold this Jesus who has taken our place on the cross, who has been cast out so that we might be brought in. I pray, Father, you may bless us with friends and with smarts and athletics and good looks and money. And I pray, Father, in light of all these circumstantial things, that regardless, somewhere deep in our heart, we would find the rest that our hearts have been so restless to find. Pray that you would make RUF a, a community that is a safe place where people of all types can come in here and explore the truth claims that you've made uh, in your word and right here on earth. Father, thank you for this night. I pray that, uh, for, especially as we move into a new semester, that you would be with us, you would encourage us, you would transform us, and, and bless RUF in whatever way you see fit to. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.